Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It is GOTV time. We're only about three weeks out from the election uh, and we have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is with us. Rebecca, good to see you. Good to be here. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Good day, everyone, and go Brewers. Go Brewers. Well, we will get into Friday night. It's the Brewers versus the candidates. But um, before we do, I want to take a minute to thank our thank my co-panelists um, who last week I was unable to appear on the show due to finding out right before the show that a friend of mine had passed. And I want to thank um, my panelists for doing the show without me and picking picking up when I basically walked away five minutes before the show started. So I really do appreciate that and appreciate that I have um, those kind of friends here on this uh, show and everyone who's involved. So I want you all to know that. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. There was a lot less pizzazz without <laughs> you. We tried. <laughs> Pro- probably not. I'm not exactly uh, Mr. Pizzazz, but um, I, I just wanted everyone to know I appreciate it. Um, just so people know, I, I lost a friend to suicide and it was over mental mental health. It's a huge issue. And um, so deeply personal as we roll into this election. Um, so let's jump into our topics. We are going to, Robert, uh, sort of a uh, little segue. Uh, we record on Thursday, but most of you listen to this on Friday. And this Friday, it's the worlds of Wisconsin are colliding where uh, National League Championship Game 6, Brewers-Dodgers, is basically going up against the debates uh, for governor, U.S. Senate, and then there's also a first congressional district race, which we know is very important to all of us with Randy Bryce. But uh, the elections are on uh, full bore. Rebecca, wh- what will you be watching as a New Yorker? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather watch the baseball game, but no, I'm going to go in person to Randy Bryce's debate um, yeah. to support him. I think, you know, most folks know about Randy, but he is just a regular guy. Um, he's a union iron worker. This is an insane thing that he is doing, running for Congress at all, let alone for Paul Ryan's, uh, the seat currently, you know, occupied by Paul Ryan. So I'm going to go you know, say, hey, I know this is really insane, but thank you so much for doing this. You know, um, it, you know, it's tough, I think. And we, we have a bunch of candidates, citizen action candidates up and down the ballot who um, these forums and debates can be really nerve wracking. But, you know, we have the issues on our side. So I'm sure all our candidates will be great. But yes, yeah, so I won't be at a bar yeah. watching the baseball game. And, you know, shout out to Randy. He's a co-op member. Guy's been through this has been a, a rough, rough uh, uh, campaign for him and having all of his personal family stuff dredged up, but uh, shout out to them and him in particular. He's run a he's run a great campaign, as you mentioned. I expect he'll do very well uh, on Friday night. Hope he, hope he does very well, but I expect him to because uh, he's authentic and he's real and he's dead right on the issues. So, um, Robert, uh, you're a Cubs fan, but uh, <laughs> you've been around Milwaukee a long time now. The Brewers are kind of your adopted team, but come on, politics versus baseball, what's it going to be? Well... <laughs> First of all, there's you you're you're just both totally off base. I mean, there's my understanding is is that the uh, network that carries uh, the Brewers and Dodgers is very concerned about losing advertising <laughs> revenue because they're going up against the Evers Walker. Yeah, so, I don't think that's uh, at all happening. So, yes. uh, just kidding, folks. So <laughs> this is let me let me do a different rant. This is an outrage because. The broadcast industry, which is an industry in our public airwaves, highly profitable, 
uh, doesn't give doesn't take anything seriously as far as actually informing the public or uh, about elections that matter uh, in any in any detail. Uh, literally, they put it Friday night because that's their low rating time. So this is their obligatory. Yep box check on our license renewal, which, which of course are not really challenged, uh, that we held these debates. And that Friday night, if they really cared, they'd have more, more debates, they would have them prime time, not Friday night. And so then you add to that, oh, we're just going to happen to have the, uh, you know, the, na the National uh, League Championship Series on top of it. This is just par for the course. And quite frankly, it, it, it's an outrage because the big Citizens United uh, big money that we have system we have right now that's so undemocratic they profit handsomely from it and if we ever try to change it in Washington the broadcasters will be one of the major barriers because they they want to feast off of ad revenue well, from political campaigns all the sleazy things Rebecca just talked about being run against Randy big cut of profit for every every broadcaster yeah no you you stole my thunder I, the joke <laughs> here is. This is always the problem, right? It could be up against Laverne and Shirley on Friday night. It doesn't matter. It's Friday night, right? Like most people are not actually sitting in front of their TV. As Robert said, it's incredibly low ratings. And the amazing disservice that these debates, all as long as I've been doing this stuff since the 90s, have always been on a Friday night. And it's always been virtually unwatched. And it's very disappointing given what's at stake, right? And given all of the schlock, back to to, Ran to Randy Bryce, right, that is put up on these ads that is just not even really the debate. Now, yes, Randy, who Randy is as a person and whether he's ethically up to the job is part of the debate, but like $10 million worth of slime, right? <laughs> like that is, it doesn't even get to the questions of healthcare, all the, all, all the stuff, Rebecca. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, you look at who Randy is and you look at his opponent, uh, Brian Style, Lion Brian, as we call him, <laughs> who is a corporate attorney, who has personally been like highly involved in making sure that companies in Wisconsin can outsource jobs and yeah. like, lose this. I mean, that's who he is. He's yeah. a he's a corporate attorney who outsources jobs. But unfortunately, um, you know, the kind of firepower that the Republicans have on the independent spending, the Democrats aren't, aren't spending the same. Oh, sorry. No, and, and, and just to uh, even, uh, you know, go further what Rebecca just said. Uh, he outsourced jobs. Why? Because that's what his employer did. This is how he was, you know, advancing his career and getting in a position to then run for Congress. So who do you think his employers are going to be now? The Koch brothers and the people financing his campaign or the average folks of the first congressional district? Yep, that's absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately, that decision hasn't been made yet, and the voters are going to get a chance to uh, make that decision, decision November 6th, and Randy certainly has a, a shot in that. Um, Want to spend some time talking about health care more as an issue. Um, we've talked about this a lot, and you know, it just hasn't gone away, if anything, Pre-existing conditions as an issue in this election has become a nationalized issue around the lawsuit. And obviously, you know, this is, this is a, one of the most critical things uh, that centerpieces of the Affordable Care Act, right? The idea that, you know, insurance companies couldn't discriminate against you and something that almost everybody has experienced, right? Or has somebody close to them experienced before the Affordable Care Act. So something that's deeply personal. So it's really become a national issue. And with Wisconsin at the center, because Walker and Schimmel are the ones who are sort of co, along with Texas, uh, leaders of this lawsuit. And the issue's not going away. 
Um, and, and it's now playing into state, state races. Um, I know you actually, uh, Rebecca, just shared a piece of literature uh, that's being brought into our state by Americans for Prosperity, the Koch brothers, uh, which is bringing health care in, right, going after Henzi for supporting Medicare for all. But health care is the issue here, and so we're going to be f- full on. Uh, Rebecca, more on, on what, what you saw from Julie's race. Yeah, actually, it was Robin's race oh, in Ro- Julie's yeah, district. Yeah, sorry, sorry, my so, mistake. Yeah, no, not at all. So both amazing candidates. Um, so for those um, listeners who haven't heard about Robin Vining, she is running for Assembly District 14, which currently uh, is represented by Cunega, who is now running for State Senate for Leah Vukmir seat, which Citizen Action member Julie Henze is taken on. So these seats are nestled within each other. Robin Vining is incredibly progressive, whip smart, working her tail off. Uh, and I really believe that she can win. This is like one of the top assembly seats in the state where we can flip it from red to blue. So it's really, really exciting. Um, and I know there's a ton of citizen action canvases going on, but I'll just say super quickly on Sunday at one, we're going to be doing one, um, for Robin and the governor's race and Kelda Roy's is going to be stopping by. That's so great. anyone who wants to come to that, you can check it out on our Wisconsin working families party Facebook page. But anyway, Robin, uh, they, uh, I can't believe this. The Koch brothers have been like blanketing her district and like dredging up like chi- weird student child photos of her um, on one side. And <laughs> they, the other side, they, it's like a side by side comparison of each. And basically it all comes down to, you know, one candidate, the Republican is going to protect your tax dollars and the other Robin is going to just like spend them willy nilly. And then the first point against her that they list is that she supports uh, Senator Bernie Sanders plan to have health care as a right and Medicare for all. And Woo-hoo! so I know. All right, Robin. Vining. I, know. Hey, I saw that get out there. Line up, volunteer. <laughs> I right? should put that on the, yeah. at the Facebook event. Right. And be like, hey, just so you know. <laughs> By the way, that polls uh, the latest Marquette poll, 47 percent support, 41 or 42 against. So fascinating yeah, um now yeah. admittedly they they think they can make some hay with this in a in a suburban district but i don't know man Healthcare is like a pounding issue in these districts yeah no um this is clearly health is going to be the issue uh and and this is a, a guy who doesn't support the affordable care act which means of course no protections for pre-existing conditions and no statement uh, at all about like the current system, which is completely unaffordable. Robert, I bet you have some thoughts on this before we go to break. Well, I guess we'll, we're about to go to break, Matt, so we can pick it up at the other side. All right. With that, we'll take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. On the back end, we'll hear from Robert a little more. We're going to continue talking more about healthcare. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before the break, we were talking about the election, in particular, healthcare, huge issue. Uh, and Americans for Prosperity, the Koch brothers, uh, throwing their mud uh, in uh, a number of districts, but in particular, going after Medicare for All. And Robert, uh, getting your thoughts on that, but also healthcare just generally as an issue right now. Well, we th- we've been saying on Battleground Wisconsin for weeks, months, years that if healthcare is the top issue in an election, then it's great for Democrats and great for progressives. And anything a conservative like Walker is trying to do is simply to muddy the waters uh, and, to he, and to take the issue away. He's not actually going to win the election on healthcare. So sometimes uh, listeners to the show are, are too concerned that Democrats aren't responding to each lie. You don't have to because Republicans are not credible on healthcare. 
after what happened uh, in the early Trump administration with the resistance. And so he can only try to mitigate the loss and try to make it so he can still eke out an election. And a pre-existing condition issue, this is fascinating. I mean, it's really interesting because you could say that it's a huge miscalculation that they're doing the Texas lawsuit because it's entirely set this issue up and it's an even stronger issue than just health care access or health care costs. It's 93%, I believe, in the uh, Marquette poll. Yes. And there's a reason for it. It's visceral. It's emotional. It's taking something away from someone, right? So it's much more more visceral and direct than a lot of the progressive rights we talk about, which are more positive rights, I would say, when we're trying to give someone the support they need to achieve something in life. This is very direct. Someone's taking away health care from someone who has cancer. And they're discriminating against people. Right. But, I mean, it, uh, the right tends to have more issues like that uh, than we do, actually. It, it's what makes their uh, rhetoric kind of more emotional for their base. And so and it's not just an, a minor issue. First of all, it stands in for their whole position on health care, because the whole position on health care is taking health care away from people, but this expresses it effectively. And the second reason is the reason they don't just solve the problem and say, hey, we're going to outlaw pre-existing discrimination is because you can't really do it effectively unless you have the government intervene in the system and guarantee that everyone has health care they can afford no matter what. And so, and the reason they don't do it is because they can't and be right-wing conservatives like they are. And the great thing is, is that the public understands this. And so we just need to pound away. I do think we need to be a little less defensive on Medicare for All. Yes, absolutely. I don't think Robin Vining, I haven't listened to everything, is campaigning aggressively on it in the district she's in. Their citation on the mailer is to Twitter in 2017. So now that we have social media, by the way, anything, folks, when you run for office in the future, they will find it. Okay, that's number one. Uh, So now you can come and the consultants can tell you, oh, be a little more careful. Just say you're for expanding health care. Well, guess what? Right. Uh, And that's number one. But number two is, and Tammy Baldwin's been the most forthright, but the thing that even Tammy, she doesn't dodge, she just doesn't answer directly, is how, how expensive it is in terms of if you, if you have the government provide the health care, then there needs to be revenue, and it means the money people used to pay to hospitals, doctors, insurance companies, and deductibles and co-pays, uh, for, to, to prison drug corporations, that that goes into taxes. And all the Republicans are going to want to say, like they did when we tried to do a single-payer plan in Wisconsin a decade ago, Healthy Wisconsin is, biggest tax increase in, in, in history, biggest tax increase in history, uh, even though it's less money. Even the Koch brother-funded studies say it's less overall money. So I do think we have to, have to say very more to her directly, you know, would you rather pay less in taxes than paying more in deductibles and co-pays? I mean, because that, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, no, and look, here, you're into the very nub of the problem on healthcare, right? Is, one, it's extremely popular, right, that they would have to cover everyone, right, which is the essence of healthcare, right? So the pre-existing conditions, by the way, that is like most major ailments. That's the whole reason why you generally get coverage beyond hey, I'm going through life and stuff's going to prop up. Mostly it's because, hey, I know I have X, Y, and Z, and I need to make sure I have uh, the right coverage I need for that. Or in my family. My my mom had colon cancer, whatever it is. It's the essence of healthcare. So the fact that they can't do it, right, speaks, speaks a lot to that. But it gets to when they can flip it and start to talk about costs and taxes, 
taxes. Right. Their favorite. We move on to their terrain, and Robert will bring this up later, right? What's playing out right now in the governor's race is Walker mudding the waters, trying to switch the topic to taxes, right? Much more their terrain. But, like, that is why that is the next vanguard of what we have to take on is what Robert's talking about, having a real conversation about what is the cost of health care and why Medicare for All is actually more cost-effective, right? Um, but that's going to be at, in play in, in this election. But um, anyways, it's playing out and in the Senate race. And the best thing you can do is just speak very strongly and forthrightly to what you believe in, Robert. And a perfect ad that uh, Rebecca shared with us. It's a mailer uh, in the Robin Vining way, race from her opponent, um, Adam Check. Is It has a would you rather, and it has a smiling girl with a big piggy bank little girl, keep your own money than a crying little boy with a broken piggy bank saying, let government spend it. So this is it. I would say, and this is what I would say to candidates, they are less credible on this issue even with with independence than they were because of the way they've conducted government. So I would just put a Foxconn behind the little girl. Actually, Foxconn would have the hands on her piggy bank already because that reflects the reality of Republican and right-wing rule in Wisconsin. The other thing, too, is they're just they're not they have no trust on this issue. The trust is gone. And I, and, and 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 so they can say what they want. Um, their actions over the last decade are very clear on this. So. What I want to do is we have we have a, a little bit more before we go to break. I want to transition into a conversation that we're going to spend a little bit of time on, and it's um, it's useful for us, I think, as progressives. And uh, I did not tell Robert and Rebecca that we were going to do this, so we're going to see how sharp they are off the top of their heads. But look, we are potentially less than three weeks away from having the reality where Governor Walker could be replaced by Governor Evers. And maybe there could be a Democratic Senate. It is probably a pipe dream to talk about an assembly, so we're, we're not going to put that on the table for now. But let's talk about what if we had a Senate, which, by the way, it's my understanding, right? They're, they're involved, obviously, in the budget after the governor, right? We, we, so, so it changes that legislative dynamic. So what I pose to you all is if that scenario happens, what are the top let's say three, top three agenda items for progressives um, in 2019. And by 2019, I generally mean the budget, right? Because that's going to be the biggest document that will come out that has to be passed where stuff will get done. But then let's say between that and then maybe two years before the next. So this is both what can be done, right? The budget is also about like what can we actually get done, but also like what should we be doing and talking about that like leads to bigger victories down the road, right? That visionary stuff that actually excites people, even if it isn't passable right now, that would argue for 2020 giving Democrats the whole the whole shooting match. And before I, I'm like, I'm, Rebecca should give hers first, but I just want to add to your idea. Uh, folks may push back on the idea of what choices Rebecca and I make. Uh, y'all, this is about governing. We actually are going to have to make choices no. and priorities early, and a governor will have to. And so this is reality. You know, we will not be able to have uh, you know, every progressive agenda item all of a sudden be a priority with, it, with a new Senate and a new administration. It's really putting us on the spot what? here, Matt. Well, <laughs> well, part of it, too, is, yeah. uh, look, you guys are you're two of the people I respect immensely in terms of your thought in terms of what we ought to be doing, both from as elect people who understand politics, but also understand governing, organizing, all of that, right? 
Um, and then also, it's really important for us as progressives to start grappling with this and thinking about governing again, because we haven't had to, and governing involves actors, i.e. Tony Evers, and the actual people who make up the Senate. So, Rebecca, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I think number one on my list would be public education, and I think fully funding public education, you know, whether it's MPS in Milwaukee or rural schools throughout Wisconsin. Flesh that out. Yeah. When you say fully fund. yeah. What does that mean in the budget since that is a major piece of our budget? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it means like a couple things in terms of the budget. I think one, um, we have to change, um, you know, this this uh, growing trend in Wisconsin of rating our public schools and public education for private vouchers or for, you know, charter schools that aren't under democratically elected school boards. And so I think, you know, there's like not rating public education but you know if we're imagining a world in which you know we win the senate we win the governor's race it's also like fully and equitably funding these schools and i think you know one of the things that we see is that both rural and urban schools are severely underfunded our, our students are um very much cheated out of the future and opportunity they should have and then i'll just quickly because i know we're gonna have to go to break in a minute you know i'd say uh, you know, uh, the, one of the top things we need to do is um, work towards ending mass incarceration. And I think that there's some like immediate things. I guess we're talking about the budget. And so, you know, we can. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. We're, we're talking both. I, I see this as what could we do in the budget, but also like what should we be doing that like starts to set up longer term? Right. Because I think that's how we start to like actually do big things we're, you know we gotta we gotta change the legend it's not enough just to have the senate right yeah so i'll just very quickly say for example you know in the city of racine um it's possible for um you know possession of marijuana to be just like a municipal citation but like it's up to the discretion of the police officer whether they want to go with the municipal or the state law and so changing the state law so that we actually decriminalize marijuana um, and we aren't um, locking up people because they are poor, people of color, for that reason, would be a top no number so one thing. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and get Rebecca's third, and then we'll hear from Robert. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, and we're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. You're, we're, sorry. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're having a very important conversation, and that is what if uh, we win the governor's race? in November, and we actually were to take back the Senate, not the Assembly. What could we do? What should be priorities for 2019, both within the budget, but then also priorities about like things that maybe we might not be able to pass in the budget with only one piece of the legislature and governor, but we ought to be moving because they push the agenda and start to lay out what a progressive long-term vision and agenda looks like that would lead to maybe winning the Assembly in 2020. So, Rebecca, we had heard before we went, you talked about public schools and, and particularly making sure we fu fully fund urban and rural, but also looking to de deal with vouchers, at least, you know, stop the stop the hemorrhaging, uh, things like that. Mass incarceration in particular, you, you mentioned um, decriminalization of marijuana and trying to g make serious inroads on that. Number three. So I won't say healthcare because Robert will mention oh, healthcare. You can say it, just take it away. <laughs> um, no, but you know, I, I will say I think you know we need if we if our next governor and our you know hopefully a Democratic state Senate needs to like immediately make steps in the right direction in terms of uh, eliminating government created 
inequality. And so what I mean by that are like massive tax giveaways to, you know, multi-billion dollar companies, um, you know, like uh, not raising wages, not allowing workers to unionize. So like in terms of like raising wages and building worker power, I think there are things we can do in terms of fighting for like a, a higher floor you know, and not having like the, the lowest of the low minimum wage, I think creating good jobs, not giving tax cuts to create poverty jobs. I mean, the tax breaks to create poverty jobs, but like to the extent that we are like, you know, subsidizing economic development, having job standards, standards attached, um, investing in our tech schools, making tech schools free. Um, and, 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 and also like the last thing I'll say is in addition to like trying to create good employment, and eliminate bad employment. Another thing that we can do is like more progressive taxation. So like for example, taxing, you know, millionaires, billionaires, their companies appropriately, not overtaxing, but appropriately, um, and not having so much of the burden be on regressive taxes like wheel taxes um, or, you know, other taxes that impact mostly the working people and the poor. Excellent agenda. Robert, let's, uh, let's hear from you. Just taking, looking at what Matt's criterion are, which is important because we have to think about how much power we'd have. So in the best case, we're going to close the gap in the assembly because of the gerrymandering. We can't take back the assembly. Uh, it's very unlikely. Uh, we can take back the state senate, though that's harder than the governor. We're favored now nationally to win the governor's race, though it's certainly far from one. So in terms of, of, of governing power structure in Wisconsin, uh, we have a very strong governor. The governor is stronger than a president. Uh, a president uh, can either veto a whole bill or, or, the, or the president can sign a whole bill, right? And there are other variations, like a pocket veto. A governor can lie in Wisconsin, not only can line item veto, he can change numbers and he can rearrange sentences, okay? Used to be called the Vanna White veto. They've cut that down a little bit, but it's called uh, the Frankenstein veto in Wisconsin and other states. And so what you have to game out is, what are things where you're not make, passing a new law, because the assembly will say no, led by Robin Voss, where the governor could, through line item veto, change the final budget, and then you'd need two-thirds to override. And of course, we would have close enough margins, we, we, we'd control the Senate, and we would have a closer margin in the assembly. Either way, we couldn't do it, they couldn't do it in the Senate. Then it would become law. So you have to think along those lines. So, and that's going to require some legal work. So my list may change based on what Governor Evers' administration actually researches on this, but... And the list is... <laughs> I would hope that, uh, and it may not be possible, that we can open up badge care to everyone and create a badge care public option through the governor's line item veto. It's a legal question as to whether you have enough authority to go that far, but if you could, they couldn't override it, a whole, assuming we hold the Democrats... And I've heard some chatter from Democrats that are concerned that it's somehow unfair to the hospitals, but we'll have to have that discussion. We'll talk more about that, Robert, because yeah. we're going to get our listeners yeah. on top of folks on that right. down the road. We'll save right. that for a later show, for governing show next. Yes. Uh, the fastest growing profession in Wisconsin and nationally is home care workers. They make poverty wages. Uh, there's tremendous turnover. They often stay poor deliberately and refuse hours to stay on badger care, stay below 100% of poverty. Uh, and uh, there's a crisis where uh, people with disabilities and seniors can't get enough hours and they're being forced into nursing homes. They're going like literally without care when they need care. I mean, dangerous situation because there aren't enough workers. 
And if we were to pay those workers $15 minimum wage with health care and other benefits, uh, we could create good jobs across the state where they're lacking in many parts of the state. And we could also, and we also could uh, expand the freedom of, of seniors, people with disabilities to live independent lives in their own home. So it's an absolute twofer, way better investment than Foxconn. I think you'd do it through a line item veto. I think you could just take the provisions. And by the way, the federal government would pay for 60% of it because it's Medicaid money. So, I mean, unlike Foxconn. So it's a, it's a great twofer. And, it's, and I, quite frankly, uh, this is a profession that is not respected and looked down upon this way because what we pay people shows how much respect we have for them because it's a predominantly woman profession. Traditionally, in reality, 90% of caregivers are women. So this is also about gender justice and gender equity in a big way, and it's women of color in our urban areas. Um, the third thing I would do is, and these aren't as splashy as Rebecca's, but I think a governor needs to start to build policy for when we have full control, for 2020. So I would have the governor, which he could do the line of veto, create two serious study groups, resources to develop plans on two areas. One, a complete climate transition plan that would make uh, create tens of thousands of living wage jobs in the places that don't have them across the state and prevent a climate genocide, develop a plan to do that that's ready to go as soon as we take back the assembly and we can run on in two years. And the other one is there's been a, we've been part of an effort with faith-based groups and with Kids Forward uh, to try to end child poverty. Child poverty rate is up 20% in the last year to develop a full plan to end child poverty that would start by cutting it in half in 10 years, an accountable plan that we would pass as far as the actual implementation when we get back to the assembly. So those would be my uh, so study group on two issues, Badger Care, Public Option, and Home Care, uh, wages and benefits. Those sound great. This feels like really bad luck, and we <laughs> I don't feel comfortable talking about what we should do if we win. But, it, Matt, it's no. your turn. So, <laughs> okay, we're going to knock on wood. Uh, we're gonna, what, what else do we need to do to get off the hex? Throw some salt. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah look, I share that, and I, but here, here's why I want to do it, right? Uh, we need to have this vision. It's part of why, like, I'm going to get up on Saturday, go knock doors. Liz Sumner, I think I'm coming to you this Saturday. Uh, I haven't told you yet, but um, <laughs> anyways, uh, and why we do the work, right? And we need to keep our eyes focused on this. And by the way, like, we're not far from doing this. And I do think it's a major transition. We have not governed in this state in almost a decade our brains thinking about what that is versus being, you know, in the minority permanently and protesting and all of that. It's, it's slightly different. Um, but it's also, I think important in that, like it, it ought to fire us up that there's, you guys mentioned some really big things there. And to me, I have a couple of minutes here before the break. Um, first of all, I loved both, both of your lists. Um, I absolutely hundred percent agree on the healthcare badger care plus you can't ha you can't have healthcare be the top issue and then not actually do the first thing. So I take Evers at his word. First day one, he accepts the federal Medicaid money, and he figures out a way to get Badger Care Public Option into his budget. And he has currently said that he thinks that's difficult. I think that's his challenge. I think that's our challenge as progressives on healthcare is to make Badger Care a public option so small businesses and individuals can buy in. And he delivers right away on a, on a core promise and, and what this election is about. Two, mass incarceration. This is an issue that has moved swiftly. Fortunately, people are really changing on this. And it's one of those areas where there's bipartisan movement, and particularly amongst young people. Young conservatives are actually really radically against mass incarceration and get 
that it's it's having racist and financial impacts. And I actually think this is something where we could start to do something right away, but also long-term. There's a huge long-term agenda here that's also central to our base. Like, if we do not start to address this issue, like, we have no credibility, quite frankly, amongst a core constituency of, of the progressive community, and we need to start delivering on it. And it's also, I think, like I said, I do think there can be bipartisan stuff. Uh, decriminalization of marijuana, very, very right up there. Um, and then Robert mentioned the long-term thing on climate justice. It, we've got to start to do this, and we've got to do it because we will not do it individually. Like, I'm the perfect example. Like, I am not individually make, I don't make all the right decisions. I flow with the system, right, a lot of times, and that has horrible ecological uh, impacts. And the only way I think we'll really do that is if we start to really, through our democratic government, start to lay out some standards, some clear things that we can do that actually start to address the genocide that individually I think we all feel very hopeless on. Um, and I also do believe this is something long-term, also bipartisan, that we can start to build a constituency of younger Republicans who get this, right? So those would be my three uh, uh, big things. Uh, but with that, we got to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to give everyone a quick one to two minutes, if they would like to, on, on this before we are welcomed by Citizen Action Co-op member Gabriel Gomez, who is running for state assembly. Again, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action in Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Before we left, we were just uh, laying out what we could see as possible if we had a Democratic governor, Democratic Senate. Uh, all three of us laid it out. If you missed it, please go back and listen to it. Robert, though, before we go to our guest, you, I wanted to give you some last comments. Yeah, I just wanted to emphasize again, because this is being not... Uh, this is not on most people's radar screens. In fact, a lot of insiders I've talked to, it's not. That the governor's power is tremendous in terms of a line item veto. And uh, they can do it to bills as well. But the budget is where the most power is, gets where all the money has to go through. And so literally, if, you, if people look at the Wikipedia page on, on Frankenstein vetoes, I direct you to that. The example it gives is you could have taken a Jim Doyle uh, statement uh, that was passed. It was like a resolution that was uh, praising Brett Favre's incredible career. And then they demonstrate on the page how you could have line item vetoed it into saying that Governor Doyle will suit up for the Packers next year at quarterback. <laughs> so, and they conclude from this, with, a, with this tool this, and sufficient audacity, governors could basically veto into law just about anything they wanted. So think about, but will... Tony Evers, be that audacious? Will he be like what we saw with Mitch McConnell getting two Supreme Court appointments when he only deserved one? That's an open question. The other thing to understand, uh, and I'll just finish on this note, uh, Speaker Voss will know this, and so Speaker Voss will not pass any version of the budget until he has some sort of guarantees that the budget won't totally change, which means that Evers and the Senate are going to be willing to stand Voss down because Voss is going to try to use that power that there's no budget unless he passes some version of it uh, to hold everyone up and make them essentially support a Republican-like budget. Because that, so yeah, and he will be audacious. I think the question is, will uh, hope probably Senate Majority Leader Schilling and Governor Evers be as audacious as Voss will be in this process? They have more of the cards. Will they have the audacity? And let's tell them to. So with that, we are very fortunate to have a special guest. We have been spending time on our 
show interviewing Citizen Action members who have been running for state legislature throughout the state. And today we're joined by Gabriel Gomez. Gabriel is running in Assembly District 21, which is in southeastern Wisconsin area, the, the suburbs of like Oak Creek and Cudahy and uh, South Mil- or Oak Creek, South Milwaukee, and uh, a little bit, I think, of uh, Franklin. But Gabriel joins us. He can tell us more about his district. Gabriel, thanks for taking the time to uh, join us today. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, well, we're really thrilled you're running. So d- just tell our listeners uh, briefly a little bit more about who you are and, and, and then why you chose to take on this race. Yeah, so again, my name is Gabriel Gomez. I am running in a 21st Assembly District race, which you correctly described, Oak Creek, South Milwaukee, and a couple of words of uh, Franklin. Um, and in uh, two words, the reason I'm running is uh, 2016. Um, <laughs> 2016 was a wake-up call for a lot of people, and I'm hearing that as a knocking on doors. Um, people are frustrated with what's happening in the country and in our state. Um, and uh, it took me about a year or so to try to figure out what it, what it meant for me, what does it mean for me to get involved. I was considering myself a informed voter, and I voted in, in elections and you know paid attention. But when uh, when 2016 happened, uh, I realized that uh, I could have done more. Right, I kind of got up that Wednesday after the elections and realized I could have done more. Um, so I spoke with uh, my wife, my children, figured out what that means for me, and uh, I realized that uh, that taking on the assembly seat uh, that currently represents our district is is, is worthwhile. Uh, unfortunately, we have an, a, a, an incumbent that uh, that pulls the uh, pulls the Walker line, and um, I couldn't abide anymore. So, so Gabriel, you said that you know, 2016 was huge for you, and you're you're hearing that on the doors. Talk more about what you're hearing from voters about you know the changes and and uh, and how things are very different this cycle for them versus 2016. Sure, the, the energy on the doors is unbelievably good. Uh, people uh, are just welcoming of our efforts, welcoming of our efforts, and and they want to help and they want to volunteer and they want to tell me yes, I'm voting and my uncle is voting and my mom's voting. Um, and what they are telling me is that, especially in the district, two things that are on the top of their mind is one, uh, is education, and two, is access to health care. And it varies door by door which one is number one, which one is number two, but those are typically the first two topics people talk to me about. Um, so, particularly Oak Creek, South Milwaukee school districts, uh, we're capped very low. Uh, and on per student spending, and uh, the parents and the people that are involved in education and the community at large uh, actually just sat yesterday at a referendum meeting in Oak Creek, and people said, yeah, I don't have a kid in school, but I'm willing to spend a little bit more money to make sure uh, we have an excellent school system. Um, and the same, same issues are being echoed with the school referendum in South Milwaukee. Um, and then the other big issue, of course, is access to health care. People are upset that we did not take uh, the, the federal money to expand uh, a public option in Wisconsin. They want to expand Badger Care. And um, again, unfortunately, our state representative has not heard them. Hey, uh, this is Rebecca with the Working Families Party. I just wanted to quickly say that um, the energy and excitement behind your race from Citizen Action members is, like, incredibly inspiring. They're just, like, killing it on the doors. 
Um, and I'm so like, as always, every time they get involved in a race and Luz Sosa and the rest of the folks in her co-op, I'm kind of floored. So I just want to, I want to note that. And then, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. It's been unbelievable. The people just want to come out and they want to make a difference. And, and in fact, so we have an event this Sunday coming out that, you know, you and Luz have organized, uh, which is going to be huge. Um, and it's kind of crunch time, right? We got a few days left before elections, and the more doors we can knock on, the better. And for people who have not knocked on doors before, uh, it is a to me, it was an exercise building faith in humanity. <laughs> so when you go knock on a door and you don't know somebody and you relate on an issue and, and they realize you're there to help them get connected with an issue that matters to them, you walk away from that door with such an amazing positive energy. Um, it's, it's just a great exercise. Yeah, so um, I'm really excited for this weekend. Uh, for listeners to know, we're going to be meeting at 10 a.m., at 9827 South Milwaukee Place in Oak Creek. Um, we're going to be going out, obviously, for uh, Gabriel Gomez, but also for uh, Randy Bryce. I'll bring some of his lit as well. And we're going to have special celebrity guest, Milwaukee County Supervisor Steve Shea. Whoa, <laughs> Steve Shea. Coming in, not right. Citizen Action Co-op member oh. as well. So, <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. So come, come by and canvas with us. It should be a nice day on Sunday. I check the weather. <laughs> Oh, that's ex- that's exciting! You have the Steve Shea, the Chris Abelie Slayer. No, um, so yeah, no, that's great. So, even if it's not a nice day, I'm telling you, the energy you get up out of when you're done, even if it's a cold day, it warms your heart. I, I cannot stop emphasizing how just powerful and impactful it is to go do go knock doors and, and talk to your neighbors. So Gabriel, before you go, we have we have like two minutes left. Could you just give our tell us our listeners just a little bit more about yourself uh, and what brought you to to run? You know, sure. you told you told us in so, 2016, but like a little bit more about your story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the idea of services has kind of been something I've done pretty much all my adult life. Right after high school, I joined the Marine Corps um, and I served six years. Um, and after that, I, I became a service technician using my skills from the military. Um, and I've been at that company for the last 18 years, essentially, in the service part of this company, doing providing people with a service. Um, while working, I finished school. I got a business degree from MSOE and a master's from UW. Um, I became a service manager. And so, again, the idea of, of providing a service to somebody else is something that I've always done. Um, and 2016, I've always done it in a, always done in a kind of the private sector, but then, like I said, 2016 happened and started some soul-searching and figured out how can I make a difference in my community, and really the trigger was um, my daughter. Um, her junior year in high school, um, two years ago, she got together with a group of her friends, and they started talking about the, the makeup of the school faculty and they um, organized and they put a presentation together and they went back to the school faculty and said hey look our school is more and more diverse uh, and we need teachers that look like us we need positive role models in our school that look like us uh, to provide us for you know, with better education a better uh, prospects for our future and it just floored me you know this little five foot four girl realized before me <laughs> that she had a voice 
right? Uh, she had a voice and she exercised it. And um, that was my, that was a trigger for me to realizing she can stand up for what she believes in. Uh, there's no excuse for her not to do it. Um, so again, uh, it, it took this, um, this next generation of, of, of children that are now becoming adults that, uh, to let me realize that, yeah, I have a voice. I have strength in my voice and I need to exercise it. If I'm not, I'm going to lose it. Well, Gabriel, that is a great story, and I know uh, I know uh, your your daughter is extremely successful. I so. can't wait for her to run for yeah, office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're gonna have to hold on. I think Stanford <laughs> gets her first. So, <laughs> so hey, uh, she's well, out there in, she's out there now living her dream. So uh, now the challenge is uh, try to fit. Take her away from California weather and have her make sure she comes back to Milwaukee. <laughs> well, hopefully hopefully you can get elected to the assembly and be a part of changing and creating a, the kind of state that has the opportunity we need. Gabrielle, we got to run. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us and, of course, uh, running for office. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for your support. See you Sunday. All See right. Sunday. And with that, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our producer, Brian Woodridge, who makes it happen every week. And, of course, Gabriel Gomez for joining us today, and we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.